We're starting a new series. Um, because it's called, well, it's four weeks. It's a very short series entitled This Year We Are Going To Be. And um, it's a bit odd, really, because James, who's back now, which is good. I know Fran said last week that he's preaching this week, but uh, it got a bigger crowd, eh? <laughs> he was never meant to be preaching. But um, he's back, and uh, next week and the week after, James is preaching. And it's this year we're going to be, and we have no idea what James is going to say, but the fourth week, which is Dave Holden, he's going to be speaking on the church. But today we're going to be, we're, this year we're going to be devoted to Jesus. Not a big surprise in church, really, is it, to go with a subject like that? And uh, probably, if you've been around church long enough, it's sort of, we say, Tim mentioned it, referenced it, the beginning of the year, and one or two of you, if you've not been around church long, think, I think it's September rather than January, but it seems certainly at New Community, September is like, this is the beginning of the new year, and I guess for the kids who've just gone out, it's very much for them as they, they didn't seem nervous at all, did they, you know, and Noah even wants to go up a class above, which is pretty impressive, I think. So anyway, devoted to Jesus, and uh, this, not a surprise, I said, nothing controversial, and we'll be looking at a well-known bit of scripture, if you've been around church for a while and you've read your Bibles for a couple of years or something like that, you would have come across this passage of scripture. But I think for all of us in this room, wherever we're at, however well we're doing or not so well we're doing, we have a desire to want to be more devoted to Jesus. So in one sense, it's an easy subject to want to push us all in the right direction because every one of you looking at me today is thinking, yeah, of course, I want to be more devoted to Jesus now than I was last year or last week even. So it's really important. And if you've been a Christian for more than two hours, you know your devotion to Jesus can be a little up and down. Or is it just me? No, good. So that's what it's like. And uh, anyway, I think what would be good is if we read the story, which is in Luke 7. Remember those days when everyone used to turn up to church with a Bible? You hear the rustling of the pages. That just shows how old I am, I guess. So I'll read it out. It's on the screen there. Luke 7, verse 36 to 50. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. I mean, it might have been a tricky moment. He's having these thoughts and he says, say it, teacher. And maybe he was a bit uh, anxious, the Simon the, the Pharisee, or maybe he's thinking, we've got a challenge on, let's go for it. Jesus says this, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Not too tricky, eh? Even most of us would have got that right, I reckon. Yeah, I got that right. But that's what he said. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, bit of gossip going on here. Who is this? Even he, who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And go in peace means to live a whole life, to live a life for, for God. Everything had changed for this woman. And uh, being devoted, which is what we're talking about this morning, takes on many forms. So when I was a teenager, I know you're thinking, how on earth has you got a memory that long? But I have. I was, uh, this will surprise you, I reckon. Um, I was fascinated. I always wanted a short, quick fix for everything. That was... I hope I've changed a bit, but that's how I was as a teenager. And I thought, I was fascinated by one particular musical instrument, which was a mouth organ. And uh, anyway, that's, that was me. I must have seen it on television, I reckon. Probably opportunity knocks or something stupid. But anyway, there it was. And I don't remember, but I just thought it must be really cool to be somewhere at a party or something like that and just pull out a mouth organ and start playing. You know, everyone's going to love that, aren't they? You know, the girls will love that, surely. Anyway... I'm not sure I already thought that. But anyway, that was me. And so I badgered my mum. I said, you've got to get me a mouth organ. You know, most people probably ask for a violin or a guitar or something. No, just a mouth organ. We weren't a very musical family, but uh, as you probably would have guessed that. But uh, I said, you've got to get me this mouth organ. Please, come on, come on. You know, they couldn't cost much money. Anyway, so I hounded her till she got me this mouth organ. So you're thinking, why am I not in now in the band? I know you're thinking that. But uh, anyway... And I loved this, and I, I thought, I, I'm making something of a useful tune here. Uh, not one anywhere else, no one else thought that, but uh, I thought, I'm getting somewhere. I was committed to this. So I'd practice regularly, annoying everyone around me, in my bedroom, playing this mouth organ. I was really committed to this for a while. Football season started, the mouth organ went to one side, because I wasn't really, you know, basically, I was rubbish at it. I didn't want to put in the work. I didn't want to put in the effort. I didn't want to learn off of anybody else. I just thought, how difficult can it be? Pick up a mouth organ. It's that big. You just move it around. Sounds will come out. Didn't quite work like that. I realised soon, you know, it's not going to work for me. And so the football season started, as I said, and I never picked it up again. I know. Sad. Sad story, I know. And, uh, but my mum... She, she wasn't surprised by that. She said, you never finish anything you start. You know, that, that's written over my life by my mum. But I've, I've moved on from that. I've had lots of prayer. Don't worry. She said, you've got a short attention span. There are many other things she said. But anyway, that was really... So when I was uh, 24, a few years back still, I know, um, I became a Christian. And uh, first of all, my mum was really annoyed. You know, she's, what are you doing? You know, we don't do things like that. We don't go to church. We go to the Greyhound track. But anyway, that's another story altogether. <laughs> but what she did say to the whole family, this will pass like all the other fads he's had. Well, I'm still here, which is a good thing. But that's what she said. And uh, the fact is, right, the point of this story, I'll move that page too soon. Don't get too excited. <laughs> There's 10 more of those. <laughs> the point of this story is, it started with a lot of promise. Well, maybe not that much promise, but it started with some promise, this mouth organ thing. started with some enthusiasm, some commitment to it. And it can be like that in our Christian faith. 
Jesus, when we first get saved, I'll do anything for you. I'll go to the ends of the earth, you know, wherever it might be. Send me, I will go, that sort of thing. I'll be a missionary. I'll do anything you ask me to do. And we can start out with a lot of promise, a lot of good intention. I'm all in, Jesus. I'm yours. And uh, then there comes a time when we face some challenges. Maybe our family are a bit against the fact that we've decided to follow Jesus. Maybe friends think, oh, you've become a bit weird. You're a bit odd. I mean, they might think that of you anyway. But anyway, that's another story. You know, start with these good intentions. Maybe work friends challenge you with your, your, your beliefs and stuff like that. And we can lose our edge and our passion can wane a little bit. Well, maybe that has happened to you, maybe it hasn't. I reckon, I reckon for all of us, if you've been a Christian for more than two hours, at some point your passion for Jesus has, has, has waned a bit, has slipped a bit. I think that's part, of, in one sense, is part of the Christian life. And maybe for you today, there's been a season in your life where the, the season of the passion has gone a bit. And it's, you're in that, it's, it's become not just a short period of time, but it's become a season. And so... We think, oh, well, maybe this is what it is. This is the Christian life. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to plod on through thick and thin. Just I'm, I will make it eventually. And it's good. It's a good thing. You Maybe you're thinking like that. Well, I, don't, I haven't got that experience of really encountering Jesus. But this is a good thing. It's a right thing to keep going. So I will come to church. And maybe I will open my Bible from time to time. Because it keeps me on the straight and narrow. It keeps me heading in the right direction. At least there's something going, you know, I'm doing something worthwhile and meaningful. It's good for my family to have some moral compass in my life. Maybe that's how we feel, you see. I need a moral compass. And, you know, that might be your experience. I think the story that I read out, that you read on the screen there, says so much more. Of course, there will be days in our lives where it is by faith you know we haven't the feelings not there like this this woman but the feelings you know but we're going on it's a step of faith and we keep going but I'm going to say there's more there has to be more than just I'm going to plod along for the next x amount of weeks or months or even longer the story of this woman reminds us that there can be amazing profound times of passion and devotion and adoration of Jesus because that's what this is about, and he's in a relationship with us. But if you've been a Christian, as I said, for, even for a little while, we will have seasons of struggle. But this story wants to remind us that actually there is more. There is more than just plodding through life. So when we read this story, I don't know what you thought. You, you've read it before, a lot of you, I'm sure. And you might have thought, oh, yeah, I love this story. This is a, this is a winner. We're onto a good thing with this story. You know, Simon the Pharisee, exposed for what he is. He's a, you know, first of all, if we mention the word Pharisee, we're all, all against them, aren't we? Pretty much. We read that. We know what Jesus was like with the Pharisees. He's a bad guy. He's, a, he's the bad, bad person in this story. And then there's the woman, the downtrodden one, the one who struggled, and she's found favour with Jesus. And we're not thinking, yeah, we're, we're on board. We're on board for this. However, I think there's a part of this story which is just a little bit awkward, a little bit of a challenge. Why difficult? Because of the comparison between Simon the Pharisee and this woman. Simon the Pharisee, let's just be clear, he's invited Jesus to this dinner party. And uh, 
he's invited him in. We don't know exactly why he's invited him in. Maybe he's wanting to find out a bit more, a bit like Nicodemus did, and find out, is this Jesus the real deal? Or he might have been bringing him into the crowd of all his uh, friends, his Pharisee friends, and we're going to catch Jesus out. This is the day we're going to expose him for who he is. It doesn't really say. But they're trying. maybe I think they're more likely to try and trip him up. And so they're all ready. The food's ready. It would be one of these occasions. Not that we have these occasions, I don't think, anymore. But the invited people come, and then other people can come and watch. I mean, that's a weird thing, isn't it? You're invited for dinner, but you actually can't eat. Or you can come in. I invite 10 people for dinner, and 20 people can come and just watch us eat. Doesn't happen nowadays, but it did happen in those days. So all these people are looking in. And then this woman comes in, and everyone would have known who she was. She was a prostitute. So that's why it's just a little bit awkward. You know, if you were Simon, what you'd be thinking, oh, this ain't good. This is not what I was after. Everyone would have known her occupation. Now, the Pharisees, as we've just mentioned, don't come out great in the pages of the Bible. If you've read your Bible, you know they are the crowd who Jesus is really on their case. He called them a brood of vipers. He challenged them consistently about their outward uh, behaviour, their outward impressions to try and impress people. But he was, Jesus was interested in the condition of their heart. That's what is really important. Jesus didn't pull any punches when he, when he spoke to them. He was right in, right in their faces. The Pharisees clearly have a bad press, and rightfully so. But what you couldn't say about them is that they weren't a devoted people. They were devoted, but just not to Jesus. The Pharisees and the teacher of the law competed with one another in terms of adhering to strict rules. They made God's law into 613 rules. It's 248 commands, 365 prohibitions. So if you've been on our membership course, DNA, that doesn't happen, thankfully. It wouldn't just be seven weeks, would it? It'd be seven months. Anyway, that doesn't happen. And they was, but they were committed to this, the, the Pharisees. And to avoid sexual temptation, they had a practice of lowering their heads and not even looking at a woman. That was how keen they were. So they had a devotion. And uh, there was a devout group of Pharisees were called the Bleeding Pharisees. Now, yeah, there's one or two who might like bleeding Pharisees. So that's not a, like a, the bleeding bit. It's not like the swear word before bleeding Pharisees. Bleeding Pharisees, because they walked around. I thought you might need to explain one or two of you. But because they walked around with their heads lowered, they walked into things. And they would keep... I know. That's how committed they were. I thought you might like that. But that's what they were. They were devoted, but they were just devoted to a cause, and most of it was external stuff. And, uh, but as we read the stories, you're thinking, well, yeah, I get it. Simon, he's a pretty bad man. He got all that he deserved. Jesus nailed him. He made it clear, exactly true. But how would you and I react? Because I often think it would be so much easier if everybody was a bit more like me. <laughs> I know you're thinking, no, please. We only want one of you. That's probably true. But, you know, just generally, like if everyone was on the same page as you or, the, you know, in your head, that everyone had the same sense of humour, if everyone had that same intellect, if everyone had that same social EQ, is that the right word? Anyway, you know what I mean. They were on the same page. It would be a whole lot easier. But then a, this woman comes in, a prostitute comes in and changes everything. And as she comes in, Simon says nothing. It's really an awkward moment. And he asks, has Jesus noticed? That's what he's thinking. 
And uh, he should have known. Jesus should have known. He's a prophet. If you are, he should have known. And this woman comes in weeping and crying all over the place. And basically what's going on, these guys, when they have this meal, there's a table in the middle and they're leaning in towards the table and they're, they're sort of on this couch thing, like leaning in like this sort of thing. Do you, do you get sort of like a, it's in the middle, like a, a wheel. There's a spoke, the, bit, the hub in the middle and they're like spokes all outwards. So they're in a circle and the heads are in the middle and they're all sort of chatting, I guess. And Jesus might be talking to them and, uh, you know, oh, would you pass me the hummus, please? Or whatever Jesus might have said. And while this is going on, right, while this is going on, this woman has entered. A prostitute woman has entered, weeping and crying her eyes out and starts pouring perfume, expensive perfume over Jesus' feet. She's totally overcome. She's overwhelmed with who Jesus is. And she walks in. This would have been difficult, right? She's coming into a male-dominated environment. She's a prostitute. She is so not welcome amongst this crowd. Of all the crowds to go to, this is the least one she would want to go to. She's just so not welcome. But she has a passion for Jesus. And I think, by the way, you know, sometimes we can be in environments um, where people are really weeping and crying, and maybe because of their love for Jesus, but maybe for other things. And uh, it can affect us, and we might have an opinion on that. That's a bit over the top. Well, look at them doing that. You know, I wouldn't do it like that. Surely they should be a little more British. That sort of thing. Let me ask you a question. Who are you more like, Simon or this woman? It's a challenge. As I was reading through this, I thought, ooh, I'd like to be more like this woman. But I know there are times when I'm more like Simon. And things can occur in my life and I think, ooh, shouldn't behave like that. I want to be more like this woman than more like Simon. Do you ever have moments in your life, I'm sure you do, quiet moments where you think, Jesus, you are enough. You are amazing. You overwhelm me. And I don't mean in the Ashburnham 2019 or 2017. They're great too, not downgrading that at all obviously but moments on your own where I'm overwhelmed with Jesus my life might be difficult but I'm overwhelmed with who Jesus is there's no one like you and sometimes of course our devotion to Jesus is going to take time and effort but there must be times when we are overwhelmed with the love of Jesus that we have those moments and here's the question really about this whole story What kind of Jesus does this woman know that Simon doesn't? What has she seen or heard, an experience of Jesus that he has no idea about? Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace, meaning fullness and completeness and wholeness. And, you know, are we making enough of Jesus? Well, we're always going to say no. We need to make more of Jesus. We can never make enough of Jesus And it was great this morning in our worship to really come and worship him. I felt our worship was great this morning. And eternity is going to be like that, but better, much, much better. It's going to be all about him, all of eternity filled with his goodness, his grace, his majesty, his his essence. He's inexhaustible. That's what we've got to look forward to. And she's been rejected and outcast. But what she knew about Jesus brought her to this place 
of devotion. She didn't care about anyone else's opinion. She was going for it 100%. And if you, you read this story and you think, how does that impact me? How can, how can this translate to my world? Because it might seem, it seems so far apart, doesn't it? That the story of this woman and my little life in what I do, the humdrum, everyday life that we have to leave, commuting, school run, you know, those sort of things, household chores, traffic jams, and all those sort of things. This does not seem to have any relation to this story. But I think even in those moments, our devotion to Jesus can come through. Jesus, I know this traffic jam, I should be somewhere, but I'm still going to be devoted to you. I mean, you might not word it quite like that. But, you know, we can have these moments we can encounter Jesus in our everyday moments, which I think is amazing. God, thank you so much that you saved me. Thank you that you endured the cross for me. Thank you for my family. Thank you even for, for my mum who said all those terrible things about me. Not really, not that bad, I'm sure. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm forgiven. It may look very different to this dinner party, but we can know Jesus in that way, which is really important. Now, we might not have those perfume outpouring moments from an alabaster jar every day but surely that's got to be our hope and desire is that these we have these moments more and more and then the woman had a title sinner simon says you're a, she's a sinner and uh what that means is well we're all sinners right everyone is clear everyone's a sinner but this is about her lifestyle this is about the way she lived her life as a prostitute it was a blatant choice of how she lived. That's what he was saying. And it's not about the little sins. Well, you know, okay, we had a great night last night. I think I might have had one glass of wine too many. This is, you know, he's grading sins, what Simon is doing here. And uh, it's really a bad idea. If, if, you, if you do that, you're setting yourself up to invent a bit of a system, a bit of a, a, a pecking order of sin, which is never a good thing. Because you come away thinking, well, I'm not so bad after all. I'm in front of you. I'm not pointing to anyone here, by the way. You, you and you. I'm doing okay. But it's a problem if we start doing that. We, we wouldn't start that way. But it can creep in. And then it whittles away your need for a saviour. There's something good in me. There's something worthwhile. I can add something to it. I don't ever actually say those words. You know, I don't come on a Sunday morning thinking, oh, and I'm sure you don't. Oh, yes, um, there's the old arm in front of you lot, and most of you, but there's those over there. I'm still on the way, on a journey. We don't do that, nor should we, but it can creep in. A little bit of a, there's a pecking order of what's going on, setting ourselves up. And when you read through, we did a series a little while back on Galatians, a book in the New Testament. And Paul writes this, he says, you foolish Galatians, you started off in the spirit, you started off devoted to Jesus, and then you start adding on layer after layer of rules and things to do, things to follow. And basically, you're setting yourself up as to have a pecking order, which is not good. Basically, there's two categories. And here they are, lost and found, saved and unsaved. And this woman, she knew she was lost. Just like, just, you know, hopefully you feel the same. That's what I need. A recognition. She had a recognition of the magnitude of her sin her brokenness and her separation from God and recognise the immensity of God's lavish grace. John 3.16, we all know this verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loves broken people. 
very much. You and I, we are broken people before God. And then look what happens in the story next. Jesus changes his position. He turns away, he turns towards the woman, but continues to speak to Simon. And and here comes the comparison. Washing of the feet was important. He said, you know, he says, the feet were ceremonially unclean, okay? Not having them washed was a dishonourable thing. They should be done by a servant. That's how low the job was. But that's what he, that's, none of that gave Jesus no washing of the feet. It was a, it was a moment of dishonouring towards Jesus. He should have anointed his head with oil. Cheap olive oil would have done. But there was none of that going on. He didn't greet him in any way, shape or form. We can sometimes have that attitude. What's going to come on for me today? What's the stuff that's going to come my way today? How are you going to bless me? I hope we sing our favourite song. I hope I get something out of this meeting. But when we look at the passion of this woman, her tears are the cleaning fluid for Jesus' feet. She wiped his feet clean with her hair, which, by the way, in those days was illegal. So her hair would have been up and she would have let it down and wipe Jesus' feet. In every way, she's going against the grain, but she loves Jesus. Something has occurred in her life, and it doesn't say where in Scripture, how and what, but something has happened in her life that has totally transformed her. She kissed his feet. She poured out expensive perfume over his feet. The contrast is just staggering. There's an abandonment. There's a humility. I don't really care what people think. I'm going for this. And you and I are loving proof that God loves broken people very much. And here is the key from the story regarding our devotion to Jesus. We can put those verses back up, Dave. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon said, uh, I suppose for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered the house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and it carries on. 500 denarii is the equivalent to 18 months salary and therefore if you're any good at maths, which Jenny did for me, 50 is about eight weeks. Simon understands the question and he gets the answer right, begrudgingly probably. So he knew the answer but this woman, she knew it in her heart. She knew she'd been forgiven much. And I think this is the key. She was a 500 denarii woman. She weren't like, well, you know, I'm pretty good. She knew she was rubbish. She was lost. She was broken. And sometimes I think it's good for us when we sing songs. And we do sing songs with words like, I was once a wretch. I was blind. I was lost. These sort of things. They're good and helpful. It doesn't mean we walk around going, oh, I'm terrible. I'm a bad person. I'm a nightmare. I'm a train wreck. No, we don't do that. I'm a worm. We don't walk around like that. We walk around with a heart of gratitude, a heart of gratefulness. The truth is I'm now made righteous because of what Jesus has done. There's nothing in me that's made me righteous. It's all about him. Not even 0.1% is your good deeds. We know that. But sometimes we can start on a, we 
introduce different things. That, oh, no, I'm not so bad. I've got something to offer here. It's really important to remember I'm a 500 denarii person. I'm not a 50. I'm not even 150. I'm a 500. I was lost. I was totally broken. And I remember reading this story years back when I first became a Christian. And I used to think, oh, you know, the, the 50, the 500. I thought, oh, the 500. Well, they're the bad ones. They're like the murderers. You know, Alpha comes in, we'll get an ex-murderer up to tell a story or whatever. You know, how they were so bad and now God has changed them. And they're great stories. But, you know, your story and my story is absolutely just as great. Because we were 500 denarii sinners, right? Whether you was, grew up in church, whether you are, you know, from day one to the day you're old, and you've been to church every week of your life, you're a 500 denarii sinner. You've broken the commands of God. And so you're just as much in need of, of a saviour as, as the person who has got it all wrong. So this woman knew she had a passion for Jesus and she knew her sin was forgiven. And she pours perfume over Jesus, which was really a key to her business, really. She needed to smell good. She was a prostitute. And she just poured it out. It was the end of her way of life. She changed. Jesus was now the one who she was following. Her old way of life was finished. Jesus is the one who's now leading her forward. Into a, he's going to be the one who tells her what work to do. He's the one who's going to determine her future. She'd heard of the goodness of God in the person of Jesus. And that there's nothing good in her. She recognised that. And Jesus regularly warned the Pharisees, don't trust in yourself. Look at Simon. You know, there might have been a couple of clues here. And I think that's one of the things. So today... <clears throat> I know every one of us, me included, we want to be more devoted to Jesus. And I think there's a couple of clues as we look at, when we pick up on stories around Pharisees that can give us a clue of how we're doing. And Simon, he was a bit dogmatic. He was opinionated. The crowd of people who were there were gossiping. Who does he think he is, this Jesus guy? He can forgive sin. And there can be clues, attitudes creep into our lives where we a little bit judgmental, a little bit gossipy, a little bit dogmatic in our views. We want to be a people who love one another, who serve one another, who give our best to Jesus. We know we're going to have moments where our, we're up and down, right? That's normal, that's okay. We want to become a community that really meets the people of Eltham with the love of God. And you know, People see through when we're not doing so well. And I don't mean they're going, you know, when we talk to people, they're not going, oh, they're only doing six out of ten on their Christian walk. They're not thinking that. But they know when we're devoted to Jesus. Without naming people, but if you think in your head, oh, I do know some people who are really devoted to Jesus. It shines through, doesn't it? And that's what we want in our lives. We want to be a people where our devotion to Jesus shines through to such an extent that it reaches other people. It's not just in here. You know, it says... Those verses were talking about forgiven a little, you can love a little. Forgiven much, you can love much. And I believe what God wants for us today is that we recognise we're 500 denarii people. We've been forgiven much. And what that will mean is we can love God more when we recognise that. We can love one another more. And then we can love the people of Eltham and our neighbours and our families and our friends and our work colleagues so much more. Because to reach the people of Eltham, and it's been, I don't know, it was prayed at the earlier prayer meeting. That's why we're here, to reach the people of Eltham.
and beyond. And God wants us to be a people who are passionate for him. And the outworking of that is it will spill over. It will spill over into people's lives. And the church is the hope for the world. And that's when we're full of God and full of his uh, presence and we're devoted to him. So can I just encourage you to have the same posture as this woman, recognising we've been forgiven much, grateful for all that he's done, thankful. We don't graduate from the gospel. We just don't. You know, we keep coming back, oh, I've been forgiven so much. I think sometimes, I'm, occasionally I'll go into London, meet someone in London, we've got a little meeting or something, and I'm on the train, and all I'm thinking about is a little task here, a little task there. They're not important, to be honest. It'd be much better, much wiser for me to think, why not use this time to be devoted to Jesus? And, and that's what I'm going to do, set my eyes on him. So I think right at the beginning I said, we do, sometimes we can come doing the right thing. Oh, I'll come to church, those sort of things. I think there's so much more, so, so much more for me and for you in our devotion to Jesus. So let's take away from this message that I want to be more like this woman in her devotion to Jesus.